Recorded live. Good evening. It is the February 8th, 2018, and you're going to be listening to another study in Daniel. This is episode 5. We are looking at chapter 3. We have touched on chapter 3 in the last two sessions, but just the first few verses. Uh, We're going to continue on hopefully to uh, move through the chapter. Um, Hope everyone has read ahead uh, in this chapter. I'm sure you have. Um, We're going to talk about those things that are really pertinent there. But let me give you three main points here that I think this chapter holds for us. The first one is, why did King Nebuchadnezzar build such an image after he had had the encounter that he had with the true God of the Jews, as far as uh, uh, taking care of his vision and telling him what it meant. And the second thing is, what effect did the faithfulness of the three Jewish men that this chapter speaks about have on the Babylonians and the Jewish captives? I think both are important. Uh, more important to them at that time than to us right now, I'm sure. But nonetheless, uh, these things are recorded, and it's because they were events that were very powerful. The third one, what were the rewards to the faithful men in the face of sudden death? And as we read and look at these things, we'll find that Uh, certainly uh, their faithfulness is honorable here. Now remember, uh, this image, this golden image, uh, uh, had been made by King Nebuchadnezzar, but what we read about here in chapter 3 is the actual dedication of this image. Um, And this image would have been a great, offense to the Jewish captives. And, you know, they were very sensitive about anything to do with worship, pagan worship, idol worship. They had good reason to be. They were in captivity because of their forefathers doing such things. And that's why this is such an emotional time, especially for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we read about in this chapter. So within the first seven verses, I find the king's conduct here is really and and is set against the God of heaven. And the God of heaven apparently is is how he describes uh, the God of Daniel. And we'll find that the terminology in this chapter really shows us the true understanding of Nebuchadnezzar concerning the whole issue of of God and God's and his understanding. He's still under the illusion that there are many gods. And at the close of this chapter, he's still under that illusion. And it's the root of all of his problems. I'm sure he didn't know it at the time. But his decree... Um, 
was uh, was very acceptable, of course, to the citizens of Babylon. Um, <clears throat> people there were used to idol worship and many gods, and uh, of course, it would have been quite an offense to the Jewish exiles that were living there. And you know, I don't know how many there were in that area. I know they were spread out. And this all occurred in the Valley of Dura, which is in the Babylonian um, the uh, the Babylonian section of the empire. So when we look at verses eight eight through twelve. <clears throat> And, you know, eight begins, wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and brought accusation against the Jews. You see, the text informs us that there were those that make charges to the king concerning the disobedience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego concerning the king's decree. Uh, The charge, of course, Um, had been described, uh, what was to be done had been described by the king himself. And the the people of the area or in that area um, were either going to respond to it or they weren't. So let's, let's hear verse 12 again. There are certain Jews, these accusers said, whom thou hast appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So, apparently, it appeared to these men that he that the three men had no regard for the gods for the gods, if you will, of the king, nor the image that he had he had built, the ninety foot golden uh statue, if you will. These three Jewish men were determined to worship only the true God of heaven and none other. Uh it, you know, that reminds me of a verse in Acts. Acts chapter 4. Uh, you can write this down because it fits well with the thinking of these Jewish men. Acts chapter 4, 18. And what it through, uh, through 20. This is concerning the apostles as they were uh, standing before the, uh, the powers that be in Jerusalem. And it says, And they called them and charged them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. That is, the, the officials, the priests, were telling the apostles, Peter and John. And Peter and John answered and said unto them, what, Whether it is right in the sight of God to hearken unto you rather than unto God, you, judge you. For we cannot speak the things, uh, for we cannot but speak the things which we saw and heard. All right, that's the same sort of resistance, if you will, uh, to someone in a position of authority telling you you must do things the way that they want. 
They didn't want to hear anything more about Jesus of Nazareth. They had went to great lengths to try to solve that problem, and of course they never did. Um, they needed to listen themselves, and I think they were felt guilty for not. So uh, I, I think this is the this is the emotion. This is the faithful um, uh, the faithful position of these men, the three Jewish men, many many hundreds of years before. Uh, and then the apostles as they stood before the, the priests and the rulers of Jerusalem, um, determined to be obedient to the word of God rather than men. So as we move on here, the verses 13 through 18 hold uh, the, the situation that, that occurs. Um, and even though... Remember the spectacle of this golden image and the sound of the symphonic music. I'm sure it was very impressive, but these three men were quite aware of the penalty of idol worship. And their people, of course, were in captivity because of that sin towards God. They weren't going to fall for it. They were not going to do it. And they were in a position where because they were working for the king and they had duties in that area, they could not escape this situation. So they made a stand of faith, if you will. And uh, even though the accusation was made, King Nebuchadnezzar was very upset with them. He was still very gracious and the fact that he was going to give them another chance, if you will, another opportunity. Um, and <laughs> they didn't answer him the way that he thought would, would, would happen. Because, I mean, who wants to be thrown into the fiery furnace? Nobody I know. But their response, in verses 16 through 18 in our text, Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer thee in this matter. Wow. Not even an answer. Just a brick wall. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Well, that's pretty elegant <laughs> in what they said there. And it's very... Um, very bold. Well, as we go on, we find that I guess the king did have a limit to what he could take because uh, it says in verse 19 that Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And, uh, uh, but I must comment on the, the faithfulness and the words 
the words were not were not in any way insightful or disrespectful. They were simply matter of fact. And I think this is a faith that we see in action here of these men. Uh, faith in action, putting action uh, to be doers instead of just hearers. Now they, they had heard what they should do, and now they were doing what they knew they should do. The king is full of fury. His countenance, his expression changed towards the men in front of him. And, you know, I wonder if he was being insulted because they refused his gods or was he taking it a little more personal? I, I believe that the the kings and the emperors of this time really felt rather godlike themselves. So there was a little self-righteousness there. Maybe he was taking this very serious as quite an insult. Um, yeah, but wasn't it, wasn't it the herald during the dedication when he invited all of these dignitar- foreign dignitaries and, and stuff from the surrounding areas? And wasn't it the herald who, you know, put it out there that, I think, this is so great, I think that we ought to bow down, and whoever doesn't bow down gets thrown into the furnace. It, it seems to me like, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is being played a little bit here, and it isn't the first time, and it isn't the last time that he gets, that he gets played in these words. So, you know, and Neil, maybe that's why he gave him another chance, because even though he's ultimately responsible for the image and all yeah. that stuff, it seems like they're trying to rub out some Jews to me. Yeah. You know, these Chaldeans. Well, the Chaldeans are... It seems political, that's what I'm saying. They probably felt these men had taken the positions that were rightfully theirs. Yeah. Especially Daniel and, and, and his three friends. Uh, they had risen to the top, and uh, that's a hard place to go. I mean, so, too bad that Tanya's not here because I'm reading a lot of politics in this day. <laughs> well, I think everything's politics. She's tuned in. <laughs> yeah. Well, she'll agree with me at some point, somewhere, maybe. I don't know. But things were a lot different then. We don't see this anymore. Listen to this. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't take that at face value. Uh, the people in the wrong then, the people in the wrong then, brought charges against the people who were in the right. Now, you know that would never happen today. (laughs) Oh, heavens no. We're so much further down that road. You know, either in religion or in politics or in any other uh, social activity. Facebook. Or Facebook. Uh, We're we're far, we've, uh, you know, evolved so much since then. Oh, (laughs) yeah. That's what my point was, Alex. You've hit it right on the head. Yeah, the people in the wrong still do and bring charges and accusations against the people who are in the right. So the more we we apt to be, the more apt we are to be in the right, the more apt we are to be have charges brought against us one way or another. Not going along with mm-hmm. social accepted social accepted religion or you know, whatever it might be. So some things never really change. That's 
Yeah, that's how I started that off. Yeah. You know, things have not really changed. Right. And, you know, because of our text, we don't, we're not visually, we need to visualize the large group of people that were there. It's like Nolan said. There's a lot of people there. This is the dedication. What do you do on a dedication? You let it be known far and wide. Um, and in this case, Nebuchadnezzar can say, you're coming to my dedication. Sure. And yeah. they came. All right? So what, what happens here is that Nebuchadnezzar has a few commands. He wants to heat the oven seven times hotter. And the text really applies that he heated the oven as hot as it could possibly get, whatever that would be. The furnace, the oven. Uh, there's even a text that says that it has it's a Chaldean door, they called it, uh, that was on the front of that oven. And then he had soldiers uh, bind uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with their own clothes, tied them up in a bundle, okay? And finally, when the oven was finally up to the temperature he thought was uh, would vaporize them, I suppose, they were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Now, uh, here's where I... I found a little departure in the text as far as the Septuagint goes. And re remember, the Septuagint is simply the Old Testament Hebrew translated into Greek about 300 and some odd years before the birth of Christ. And the one that I'm using was first published in 1851. But in verse 22 through... Um, 24, there's a little difference. See if you can pick it up when I read it. Um, my, my verse 22 says, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste. He spake and said to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. Now I'll pause there. Now let's hear it from the Septuagint. Because uh, I think this is probably more accurate. From my look over at the Greek here, verse 22 is, is this is the correct form. This is what we should hear. For as much as the king's word prevailed, and the furnace was made exceedingly hot, and that's the whole verse. There's nothing about the men being, being uh, slow, uh, slew also. Verse 23, then... These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the midst of the burning furnace and walked in the midst of the flame, singing praises to God and blessing the Lord. Verse 24, And Nebuchadnezzar heard them singing praises, and he wondered and rose up in haste and said to his nobles, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? 
And they said to the king, Yes, O king. Now you see what's missing? We have the addition of the soldiers being slew as they threw them in because of the fire. Um, and, and the other part is that Nebuchadnezzar heard them singing praises to God, and this is the reason that he was astonished and rose up in haste. Besides, when he heard that, he got up and looked in, and he saw them walking around unbound. Uh, in, in what one version says. Uh, so we have a little difference here. I, I suppose it's not incredibly important, uh, and I don't know why there is a difference. You paint such a beautiful picture, though. Why would you leave that out? I, I like the I like the, what it says in uh, about them. Uh, uh, being uh, singing praises to God and blessing the Lord from the midst of the flame. And it says in verse 24 very clearly, and Nebuchadnezzar heard them singing praises. And he wondered. Okay? I bet he did wonder. Because here they are singing, and, and I mean, the, the sound of that furnace, I think, they must have been singing quite loudly. We can't even get people to sing like that in church. I know. Light a fire. Maybe we need a light of fire. <laughs> you hit it right on. <laughs> so I'm feeling better and better about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But, of course, as incredible as that was, there was something even more incredible that the king noticed. Um, And I think we need to give him credit because instead of just ignoring it, (laughs) he was was true to what he was observing and hearing. Um, And I, I think that's probably an attribute. So we need to give him credit for making the proclamation of the fourth man seen in the furnace because all four of them were walking around, unbound, according to the uh, uh, text in the American Standard Version. And in verse 25 is where we find this. Daniel 3, verse 25, he answered and said, uh, that is the, the king, lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the aspect of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, we know that's Nebuchadnezzar because that's how he talks. Um, So he's giving us a very honest account of what he saw inside of that furnace. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, And the king said, But I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire. And there was no harm happening to them, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Here it says Son of God. Very is, is that God singular, or is that plural? Well, is, can you tell from... I, I can't tell from, from here, but it says Son of God instead of all the... the uh, yeah like unto a son of a god, which is some of the versions have. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, Verse 25. I'm seeing singular. Like a son of here. the gods. Oh, I'm in the find the wrong spot here. 392. No, did you get the Septuagint up there? It, it is the Septuagint. It's just the Greek, though, but yeah. it's parsed. Yeah. Can you bring the word uh, 325? Um, yeah, that's right. That's it's right here. It's it's calling out singular here. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I don't get so, it. Yeah. So, once again, the Septuagint is more accurate. Because that, that doesn't appear to be uh, uh, the idea of uh, Nebuchadnezzar in his other statements. So there you see a little difference, and this is maybe why when we do studies in the Old Testament, we need to we need to be looking at the Septuagint. We need to be comparing the text there with, um, and there again, we're, we're dealing with the English of 1850, but really I don't, I don't find anything there that is uh, a, a real problem as far as the words, the definitions that we've run across at least. So, now according to the Septuagint, the king heard them singing praises to God. And I just think, uh, I don't want that left out of the text because it adds to the account so much. And it fits much better with the English and the other texts because why was he astonished? He was astonished because he what he heard and he saw both. Thought he, if you thought he was mad before that, I can't only imagine after. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think he's he's on the horns of a dilemma here. He's going to have to deal with it. Oh, wouldn't that be so astounding that it would go past your ego? I, I I think you're right. It would be so astounding. It would be. It'd be such an account, such an impossibility that I think you might put aside even your anger and disappointment or whatever it was. Because what does he do? He goes to the to the door, which is called in one of our versions the Chaldean door of the furnace, and he calls the three men out by name. Now he doesn't call the fourth man out, does he? Because he calls calls them out by name. He says uh, in verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace. He spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. And they did so. And he may have been thinking when he said that, that the Most High God is the the one that's being refer, referenced in verse 25. I think probably there may be so. a correlation there. There may not be. Mm-hmm. Hey, can I add one more point? Yes. We're going back to verse 2018. There's a principle here that the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did not do what they did contingent on what they thought God might do. Yeah, that's a great point. That is. Because they put all of the pressure on you know, Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. They, said, they just said God is capable of saving us. Whether he actually does or not, we don't know. But just the same, we're not bowing down. That's right. He, 
they assumed all the responsibility and they did not do what they did contingent on what they hoped God might do. Boy, they, yeah, they, that's a good lesson for evangelicalism today. They, they faced death like anyone would. They excuse me. They faced execution. It, so their decision, they didn't have like some memo, hey, if this guy tries to you know, throw you in the fire, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. No. Make a big deal out of it. They didn't know. Well, they didn't claim innocence. They obeyed. They obeyed. They acted out of conviction. Right. Yep. But, but they knew they'd broken the command of the king, and they knew the punishment. Yep. But what they were saying was that punishment was not going to dissuade them from... Uh, obeying God, of whom <laughs> they feared disobeying God more than the king. Just as, just as Peter and John, as they sit right. in front of the council. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was, it's kind of the same, Neil, and the point that you made about the fact that they were under, they, they, their people had already suffered from that. Oh, yeah. So that's a point I've never heard in this study. That's a great point. That really helps you under, understand you know, where, who Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego re- were really afraid of. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Isn't that what we're talking about? They were more afraid of God than they were the king. That's right. They understood why they had been taken into exile. As we all should be, right? Yeah. Right. That's, that's right. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. That's the first time he's heard that today. Is that right? Oh, I guess But we're going to find here that uh, the fourth person is certainly uh, a point of intrigue for everyone that was there, (laughs) that could see it. But the other thing is I'm sure this this entire encounter became pretty much public information for uh, a lot of the people there. And that's why I think this is an important thing. That's why... Not only is great that we have it to read for our own benefit, but we got to realize that something like this happening would have had quite an impact on the Jewish exiles. Not only bolstering their their own self-will, but I think it's drawing that line of distinction. And it's even causing a little doubt in in the minds of the Babylonians and the rulers that the the king of the Jews uh, really exists. Uh, And how they worked that out, of course, uh, they had a lot of baggage. Uh, But still, uh, the fourth person, the Septuagint says, um, son of God, is like the Son of God. Now, what reference does Nebuchadnezzar have to the Son of God? It's almost, when you have the word like there, it's almost like you're comparing it to something you already have seen. I have no idea. I wonder why he's calling the Son of God. Why didn't he call him God? <laughs> yeah, a good question. I don't know. Those are very good questions. We had a question here or a comment that, why did he say son instead of just God? Uh, later on, in verse 29, he calls this fourth individual the messenger of God. 
or angel of God in the text, which means messenger, of course. Um, so I think he's laying out all the possibilities. But obviously the entire encounter is, is not of, of human um, is not of a human strength here. And there's, there's some other things. The, the fire had no effect on their bodies, as the text says. They were not burnt. Their clothes were not burnt. Their hair was... No, their hair was not singed. They didn't smell of... You know, you can't stand next to a fire without smelling like smoke. you got to wash your clothes immediately. So these things are miraculous. Nebuchadnezzar had seen a miracle uh, before his very eyes and ears even. But you know, uh, miracles is as uh, powerful as they are. Um, not everyone is, is moved by a miracle the way they should be because of our free will and the fact that we have a sovereign will of our own, um, we can reject a miracle too if we want to. And many would think that's probably impossible, but it's not. Read, read history. Uh, we live in a world today that, you know, everybody's looking for a miracle. Why? Um, they're not convincing to everyone. So, we need to understand the miracles that have happened, and we won't be looking for one tomorrow. That would be, yes. I think 28 is the answer to our previous comment. Right. But he, he has sent his angel. And I think right. that, that's the key. Um, but the word now has changed. Uh, his feelings have changed because he uses the word in verse 28, and you can double-check me in the Greek. Um, <clears throat> I think it's probably the word, the Greek word eulogy rather than makorios. Can you tell? I can try, which is a good phrase, though, correct? I mean, yeah, it's the word eulogy. Say it up here. So, <clears throat> so Nebuchadnezzar's praising in this case, right? In, in this case, he's telling them what to do, and he is saying, eulogize the God of heaven. See the, see the word? I don't have my pointer here, but it's the word that means what. What does eulogy mean? Speak well of. Speak well of. To speak well of, and no matter what, how they define that word, folks, we misuse that word almost every time mm-hmm. it enters our lips. Yeah. The word simply means to speak well of. It means to eulogize. We can, we can speak well of God. God speaks well of us. That was the promise given to Abraham that we, he would provide a place where we could enter and God would speak well of us. That's the New Jerusalem, of which we are a part of today. <clears throat> he speaks well of us. That's the essence of the promise and the inheritance mm-hmm. is to be where God speaks well of us. But here he's telling these people, blessed, speak well of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a turnaround for Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, it is. A real turnaround. Now he's going from being, um, you know, looking at himself as God. Now he says, you speak well of these guys. I mean, they even had an angel who came 
And I, you see, when I saw, I, it looked to me like it was God or like God or a descendant of God. Yeah. A son means descendant. Mm-hmm. So are we, so we pretty solid on the messenger uh, text then, describing messenger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of people think in this story that that is Jesus in there with them. You yeah. do realize that. I mean, I was yeah, taught that in Sunday school for 30 years. Yeah, it's not likely. Huh? I thought it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Holy Spirit would never be represented as a person. You no, know. but a person couldn't be in there anyway. Well, they're in there. I know. So <laughs> I just thought it was the shadowy. Oh, oh, I see. Because he didn't come out. No. Well, the, all we, we don't know a lot more than what we're talking. Yeah, as all we know is <laughs> it, it, the know. appearance was of a man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the same as the other three, except yep. he didn't recognize this man. Yeah, verse 28, out of the Septuagint, it says, And King Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, he's saying, Speak well of their God, who has sent his angel, uh, or it means its messenger, and delivered his servants because they trusted in him. And they have changed the king's word. Now, by the way, that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody changed the king's word. But this angel did. And delivered their bodies to be burnt. That they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And that's verse 28. Now, I think Nebuchadnezzar, as as a human being, was someone who was learning about God, a God of the the one true God. Now, he didn't know anything about the God of the Hebrews (coughs) until he met the Hebrews. As a king, he wouldn't wouldn't go to save somebody. He would send the messenger to do it, so he recognized what the king would do. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. That, that, that's true. Because he, he, when he thinks of a God, uh, he thinks of one that sends people to do the bidding of God the same way the king does. You're right. That's, that's a good comment. <clears throat> and that's just what happened. In our previous studies, we've always, we've, always decided, we've always said that a miracle was the beginning of something. So was this the beginning of the change of King Nebuchadnezzar's heart? Mm-hmm. Was that the intent? As the Jews are steered back into a more honorable, you know, more honorable place with God? Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess that's it, right? Because I don't read anything after that, you know, except for just the continuing right. text of Daniel, but this is kind of a standalone event in this book. Well, but it, it, it confirms that they were serving the one true God. The miracles always got to confirm a message. Well, once again, I never took under consideration what Neil said, what what kind of in, impact this would have on the people. It must have had a tremendous impact. I mean, there's a lot of Jews there yeah. under captivity, and they, they're, you know... Think about this. A lot of the Jews probably have the thought that God had abandoned them. 
This, this is a point that shows them that God is still working among them. But working among the faithful ones. There's no promise for those that are unfaithful. Uh, and that's why this is motivation. You well, they see. sure had their faith put to the test, didn't they? They they did. In the most severe way that any man could face. Yeah. Or but there, there's always a purpose. This whole account didn't happen for a reason. Remember what uh, Joseph said to his brothers about how they had treated him and sold him into bondage. He said, "What you uh, what you did for in for evil." God has made a blessing. And not just a blessing to, to Joseph, but to the, uh, to the brothers and the whole family. So, yeah, God, God uses uh, these things for his own purpose. Um, so, the king agrees that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego may worship their God and their God only. He also promoted them in the providence of Babylon, according to the, the text. Now, just a few comments as we close up this evening. I wonder what kind of hold that the king of Babylon uh, was being, uh, that, that had been his, his past. The false gods, the pagan gods that the king had known his entire life, his whole family, had known. He was now being exposed to the to the God of heaven, to the God that Daniel spoke of. He had seen and witnessed a miracle in, in having his dream not only told to him, which was impossible, but then interpreted by Daniel, a Hebrew. Through the power of God, he knew that Daniel couldn't do this. He had just seen quite a miracle, and he attributed it to the Most High God. And I, I think that's that's a growing point. I don't know. He's not there yet, I don't believe, because uh, chapter 4, uh, we find out that he needed a little more correction. Um I don't think he gave up his many gods. He may have put their god on top of the pile, but I think he still had the many god concept. But in chapter 4, after what occurs to him there, I believe his thinking has changed. So why is this account given in a book of prophecy like Daniel? But I think we need to remember that this testimony that we read about and these occurrences in the book. These are testimonies to the Jewish people, first the Jewish people in captivity, and uh, in the days that would come, the Jewish people that lived after this, uh, they had this, uh, this account, they had the, uh, the many accounts of how God had worked within their midst, and it was a great encouragement to them a faith builder, if you will. There is a great reward for those that are faithful to the one true God. The Jews really believe this. Uh, and everyone should believe this. 
because it had been true before this had occurred. It was true during this time, and certainly the faithful uh, were blessed after this period. And also, I think one of the other things is when we're looking at the idea of prophecy and fulfilled prophecy, this account here, this one and, and the many other accounts in that we find in Daniel uh, and Daniel's faithful friends. Uh, we don't know about any other faithful Jews, although there were probably quite a few in the exile group. But I think we find a real parallel here concerning faithfulness of the Jews here in front of Nebuchadnezzar as the Jews during the last days of the covenant of the Jews in the face of, of, of a bitter end, just as much as they had, um, with, with the warring amongst the Jews themselves and the loss of faith. Uh, you know, the Jews even stopped their sacrifices. They, uh, in the last days of, of the Jews in Jerusalem in the late 60s A.D., they were even hunting down and killing Jewish people that were from the, the men from the tribe of Judah. Now, why were they doing that? They were trying to make sure there was no Messiah coming from Judah. Uh, and, that's, and that's written in Josephus. Um, so they, they, were, they pulled out no stops. The faithful Jew went through that day and was probably lost their life, but they were rewarded with not only their Redeemer, who had come and forgave their sins in 30 A.D., but through the whole time period, and it all became full-grown and complete, uh, the kingdom of Christ, the, the king of the Messiah, uh, of the uh, kingdom of Christ, uh, A.D. 70 to 74, we find the Jews are receive their blessing, their reward, especially to the faithful ones of that day and the faithful ones of the past. And we and this is this is history. Uh, and history is always re- relevant. Um, yeah. True history is always relevant. Uh, history that's been changed for some nefarious. Uh, nefarious idea or position, that's that's a real problem, and we should all fight against that sort of history. But when we have a book such as the Septuagint that is uh, 2,300 years old, (laughs) I think we got some pretty good history here. It stood the test of time. And when Jesus and the apostles quoted from the Old Testament, they did not quote from the Hebrew. They quoted from the Septuagint. They quoted from the Septuagint, and that's proven in the, the quotations in, in the, the writing of the New Testament itself because there are some differences, and, and, and everyone knows this. Uh, if you look at the Septuagint and a lot of her references, a lot of times it, it's given just as LXX, 70. Um, and uh, a good... Uh, a good commentary will even use the Septuagint uh, as a reference point. So that's that's what we have to say this night. Uh, 
we'll uh, deal with uh, whatever comes along, but uh, unless something changes, we'll be looking at Chapter 4 of Daniel next week. Um, homework? Well, the homework is always read ahead. It's okay. There's no demerits for reading ahead. Uh, not yet. It might come later, but right now, read ahead. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for the blessing it is to read from your word and the fellowship we share in doing just that. We thank you, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.